0: I'm Heather Mulligan, President and CEO of the Business Council of New York State. I'm also the host of this podcast called Connect, the Business Council podcast. We aim to bring you the most interesting interviews with business leaders and newsmakers from around the state. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Connect podcast. I'm Heather Mulligan. I'm the President and CEO of the Business Council of New York State. Today, I am joined by Paul Zuber, who is the Executive Vice President here at the Business Council and our Chief Lobbyist. Uh, Anyone who works as a lobbyist in Albany knows that January is the funnest month of the year because we get the state of the state and the governor's budget uh, released, generally speaking, in the month of January. Um, So Paul is going to talk to us today a little bit about Uh, both the state of the state and the governor's budget and what they mean for business so Paul thank you for taking the time to be here today
1: well I'm glad to be here Heather
0: of course you are on payroll so
1: (laughs) I guess I could I could
0: command it if I wanted to but but you came voluntarily so yeah
1: that plays into it but you know yeah I love being I love doing these things
0: Yeah. So let's 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 start with the state of the state, Uh, you know, the state of the state, the governor generally lays out their agenda and their vision for the year. Um, And I think uh, this year's agenda was a little surprising. The governor talked in the state of the state about holding the line on taxes on taxes and focusing on affordability. So how important uh, is her message here and, and does it have any meaningful impact on the process?
1: Um, Well, first, first, I think her message is very important because I think it's um, very important on her part to kind of firmly lay down the marker that taxes are not part of the discussion. Uh, You know, as many of us know, um, inside the ropes here in Albany, once the word came out that there was going to be a significant budget deficit, um, there were many groups who were calling for an increase in taxes, particularly on the rich. Now, as we all know, um, a lot of our tax revenue is made up by people who are making a lot of money, who are making six-figure salaries. And we already have an out-migration problem um, in New York State. So I think it was very important for her to kind of immediately let everybody know that that is off the table. So I found found great... Uh, happiness, I guess, for lack of a better term, um, with the governor when she um, held firm to her position that she wasn't not going to uh, increase taxes. But I think it's a very important message to uh, voters, to businesses, um, to everyone in the state that she's not looking to fill the void through taxes.
0: Yeah, I know that there is a narrative out there that um, the increase in taxes, and we've been dealing with a temporary surcharge on high income earners for for some time now. But the narrative is well, you know, before the pandemic, uh, there were fewer millionaires in New York than there are now. But obviously, that completely misses the mark because anyone who has a 401k or a pension um, or who had real estate, um, if it appreciated in value, you'd have more people hitting that million dollar mark than prior. But that's not income. That's not what we're talking about here. High income earners pay more or close to half of all the personal income taxes, actually more than half of the personal income taxes in the state, depending on how you uh, describe a high income earner. But New York also has the highest tax burden per capita out of any other state. And we are one of two states that did not actually gain in the high income earner department uh, post covid New York and Illinois are the only two states that actually lost a net number of high income over a million dollar a year earners. So um, I'm just I'm just setting that out there to, in case anyone well, is listening. Well, <laughs> so, I, think,
1: I think to your point, I, I think what we have been messaging from the business council has been that everyone needs to understand that COVID accelerated a lot of changes and how Businesses, um, how people do business, right? Before COVID, we all were aware of Zoom, but never really used it that much. And Microsoft Teams, all those, all those, um, you know, vehicles that we use now to communicate. I think what's happened is it's become very very clear that you don't necessarily need to be in um, a particular state to do business in that state. And so when we're, when that's the case now, we're in a full-fledged competition with every other state in the U.S. Every state is a competitor of ours. And when you, when you start raising taxes, when you don't address affordability, when you don't address retail crime, when you don't address all those different things, you know people make a decision that I'm going to go someplace else. And that ultimately impacts all the good programs that exist in the state that help people who are less fortunate that help a wide variety of new york um, state taxpayers so you know again her message was very important because we are in that competition and we need to do something to attract people back into the state
0: right and and when you have businesses that have these very highly compensated positions that are growing um and they are you know companies that are new york landmarks um but they're not growing in new york they're growing in texas and they're growing in other states at a much faster rate than here um we're losing out on potential growth that you know would benefit the state's economy and ultimately benefit the programs that people care about so um, it's sort of a death spiral if you just think you can keep just ratcheting up ratcheting up the pain um, and 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 really being unfriendly and hostile to people who are contributing a great deal uh, to the state's economy. So what's in the state of the state? Um, I mean, I know the state of the state is sort of just a, a, a visionary thing, but um, what's in there that businesses should care about?
1: Um, there are a number, I mean, there are a number of items that I think are important for business. I, I think, you know, she touched on a lot about affordability. I think Affordability is um, a big issue for businesses. Um, obviously, creating a more affordable New York um, allows you to keep people here. It allows you to track new business. Um, you know, now, obviously, in her, her budget address, I'm sorry, in her budget submission, there are some specific items that I think are very important um, to business. Um, but, you know, by and large, from, from her state of the state, it's, it's the affordability issue. It's, it's the desire to deal with some of the issues revolving around retail crime that you talked about. Um, that's a very important issue. That's a very important issue, not only to um, retail um, establishments, but, it's the, but the mindset of, of New Yorkers, right? We see left and right that, you know, there's this major problem with um, various groups going in and committing retail theft, and it becomes a, an ongoing story about why New York is unlivable. So I think those type of items are, are important in her message. I mean, obviously, the state of the state is more of a message driven, um, you know, document. I, I do think that in a lot of ways, um, you know, what she said was a little bit of a no harm uh, sort of speech. You know, she didn't want to kind of ruffle any feathers. Um, and to a certain extent, the budget is a little bit like that. But, um, but I think affordability and retail crime and talking about those things were are important to business.
0: Yeah, I mean, interestingly, on the retail crime, we saw a proposal get introduced. I don't even know if it's gotten a bill number yet last week that would basically blames the business owners for for retail theft, um, which is, I mean, almost beyond absurd. uh, But um, so tries to address it by being punitive towards businesses that are victims of retail theft.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'm really happy that the groups that came out against that bill were ones that really are small business oriented groups like the Bodega Association, because, you know, there's a tendency sometimes by not all legislators, but some legislators to kind of look at business. And when they they look at business, they think everything is a giant corporation. Right. And so for them, Doing something like this really doesn't mean anything. Who cares if Home Depot or Walmart you know, pay all these expenses in terms of a retail theft? But sometimes along the way, people forget that the little small business person is going to have the same um, requirements. And in many instances, it's going to be more of a burden on them because paying out this extra dollars really means something uh, to their bottom line. And again, it's another bill a lot of its pattern, I believe, after something came out of California. And, you know, I I, I sometimes beg the legislature to stop looking at California as the model of all things. Um, California is a very different state. I think, you know, you made a great point to me one day when you you talked about your conversations with your colleagues in other states, and they've talked about the fact that, you know, California geographically is different than New York. You know, if you live in you know, Northern California, San Francisco Bay area, you want to leave, where are you going to go? You know, maybe Seattle, Colorado, you know, maybe Texas. It's not like, you know, you can get in a car here and within 30 minutes you're in New Jersey or you're in Pennsylvania or you're in Maryland, um, all the way down to Eastern Seaboard. So our competition is much different than California. So comparing ourselves to them all the time isn't the best um, thing to do.
0: No, I I agree, and and honestly, the retail theft problem in California is is pretty severe, and nothing that they've done to address it seems to have alleviated uh, it. So I I don't know that um, replicating their model makes any sense whatsoever. Um, but that that's that you know that being said. Um, so what what is in the governor's budget as far as um, specific items around affordability and around retail theft um i know there's was, there's was at least one provision that relates to retail theft in the bill in the budget bill
1: yeah and and she's she's starting to or she, i should say the governor's starting to look at retail theft and more more in-depthly um you know she's looking to um put together um some task force um, with law enforcement um, to deal with retail theft. Um, she's looking at increasing some of the penalties in regards to retail theft. I think the mere fact that she's concentrating on that is, is, is very important and it's very important, um, for the discussion. Um, you know, again, um, when affordability and she's looking at housing again, um, you know, I think, you know, she wanted to put a version of 421A. Um, I think it's called 485X. I, I can't remember the exact, um, Paragraph and section of the law. Um, You know, the only downside I would say she kind of leaves it up to New York City to put together. But I think the realism. And so, for
0: anyone who's listening, what's 421A?
1: (laughs) I think you know. But at the end of the day, I think you know, it's we need to do something with 421A. We really do need. You know, people are not just going to wake up one day and decide I'm going to build affordable housing in the most expensive market in the world in New York City. There has to be some incentive for people to um, build affordable housing. You know, how we structure that, I think in the nuances of that, I think that should be open to discussion. That should be open to debate. But the, the fact that we don't have a version of 421A is hurting um, the affordability issue in, in New York State. But, you know, I think, you know, as far as her budget is concerned, you know, that is, that's going to be a big issue. But from the business side of it, You know, I think there's some positive um, things that we worked with the governor on to uh, take care of, um, such as uh, pay frequency, which for many of the the listeners might not realize that there was a decision that came out of the first department called the Vega case, which um, said the failure to pay someone weekly um, would be subject to liquidated damages. Now, those individuals that you were supposed to pay weekly are defined as a a a, a, manual working laborer. Man, a manual laborer, thank you. Uh, so it's either a laborer, a working man, uh, I guess a working woman is left out, uh, or a mechanic. Um, and in many instances, what's happened now after the Vega case is um, trial lawyers have decided that this is a new opportunity for them. So they have filed lawsuits against uh, companies that although they're paying the correct amount, they're paying every every two weeks, um for for because of lack of definition in in statute they are being subjected to lawsuits and in many cases we don't even actually have the exact number of cases that have been filed because in many cases some of these trial lawyers are just using it as for lack of a better term extortion so they threaten the lawsuits and they get um you know huge settlements uh because people are afraid of the lawsuits so the governor did realize that this was a major problem, that people were taking advantage of it. So she did put legislation in that would um, fix that um, issue. Um, you know, absolutely subsequent to that, there was a decision from the second department, which um, is counter to the decision uh, on the Vega con- decision. So that's going to be something that's going to be decided at the Court of Appeals. But we're going to still be pushing for that legislation. Um, and then she also got rid of COVID paid sick leave, which was another issue that we had talked to our administration about, which is the fact that the federal emergency is over. Um, and regardless of what anybody wants to say, it was never considered to be permanent. It was always considered to be um, something that was going to be utilized during COVID. Um, but you know, the expense on businesses is, is astronomical. We have a not-for-profit, a not-for-profit who has told us that it's cost them over a million dollars in paying out COVID paid sick leave. There right, enough-
0: the COVID paid sick leave is supplemental, and we're the only state that still has it.
1: Yes, we're the only state that still has it, and you know, it, it 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 makes no sense, you know, and and it's only hurting us, um, and it's only hurting our businesses. You know, I do I do wish that the governor and her team would have looked at unemployment insurance and trying to, um, figure out how to pay off the debt. Um, because that's an, an increasing burden on businesses. And again, it goes back to something that I think sometimes the legislature does not understand, you know, n- not dealing with the unemployment insurance debt isn't really hurting large companies, right? For a large company, yes, you don't want to pay all that money, whatever, but they can still deal with it and manage it in in, in terms of their size, um, it's really hurting the medium to small business owners who are, you know, the backbone of of most communities and the ones that are hiring of an incredibly diverse group of of employees. And they're the ones that are really feeling the burden of this. And so it's unfortunate that she didn't deal with that. But you know, we are pleased that she held the line on taxes. That. She, She's looking at some of these things like, you know, pay frequency and COVID paid sick leave, it's never going to be a perfect budget for anyone. So, you know, obviously, there's some things in there that, you know, we're concerned about. But, you know, by and large, it was not a bad budget.
0: Yeah. So next, the uh, legislature gets to uh, weigh in and, and give their views. Do we expect anything exciting?
1: Yeah, actually, I think the debate is going to be interesting because the governor did make some cuts to foundational aid, um, school aid. And I think it's going to be going into an election year with many of the members feeling like they have gotten a cut in their school aid um, will create some battle lines with that. And then if you think about it politically, um, she also put a significant amount of money into the ongoing migrant crisis. Um, right. Now at the Business Council, we are completely supportive of um, you know, the migrant community and getting jobs and putting them to work and working with the federal government to um, give them authorization to work. We realize that there's a workforce shortage. Um, so and, and it's a problem that we have to deal with. But when you're telling legislators that we're putting us in a significant amount of money in the migrant crisis, and we're cutting your school aid in an election year, it's going to be a difficult balancing act, particularly for many of the suburban and upstate Democratic members who will be very concerned about the ongoing rhetoric surrounding um, immigration, um, and then adding to the fact that there's going to be an argument that they're losing school aid. So that's going to be um, pretty significant. I mean, the governor has an, a significant um, budget deficit. Um, there are significant reserves. So I think what what's going to happen this um, budget cycle is they're going to have to address the school aid issue first, and from there, I think everything else will fall into place. Um, my guess too is that if I, you know, I'm not going to speak for the speaker or the majority leader. But I I think in some cases, um, you know, fix the school aid, get things right. Don't make too many waves. Let's get out of here. Let's get a good budget and let's deal with what we have to deal with in November, because, um, you know, it's a very difficult balancing act, particularly, I think, for the speaker. I mean, he has, you know, New York City members who are getting challenged by, you know, members of the Democratic Socialist Party. And then on the other hand, he's got upstate and suburban members who are going to get, you know, chat on the right. And it's a very difficult balance for them right now because, you know, you do one thing over here and it hurts the candidate over here. So I think first and foremost, they'll fix school aid. And then I think everything else will fall into place.
0: Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, the governor's budget doesn't actually cut school aid. It just doesn't allow it to grow at the rate that it would grow out if it stayed on the same trajectory, right?
1: Yes. It's, yes, yes. But you know, as you know, that's not the way members look at it. You know, and and for for those that were never in like the majority conference room when the uh when a school team or the the school uh uh program and council team would hand out the school aid um runs that come off the school aid formula, it's like Christmas time when yeah. members would see that and, and nothing's changed in regards to that. And so a lot of them, you know, are taking it as a cut um, and they're taking it as, you know, a change in, in the current um, system. So it's going to be, I think that's going to be a little bit of a debate um, going forward more so um, than any of the other major issues. I, I don't, I don't, I think both leaders know that there's limited spending that can be done. Um, so I, I don't. School that. aid and
0: healthcare are the two biggest yeah. spending yeah. items yeah. in the budget. We have a smaller mm-hmm. population of students than we've had. The mm-hmm. demographic is shrinking. Right. Um, yep. And, you know, so it is logical to say, you know, we're not going to continue to grow spending in this section of the budget if the number of people that we're serving are is a shrinking number but it's still such a political hot potato um and and it does get miscast i think i mean i i tried like if if i if i gained five pounds two years ago and 10 pounds last year and this year i gained five pounds i didn't lose weight i'm just (laughs) i mean that's (laughs) you know that's that's not that's not how it works right the budget is incremental there's growth every year and when you cut the rate of growth, you're not you're not cutting their budget. You're just not giving them as much as they expected. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and you're right. And I, but I and I think but that goes to one of the you know things that make Albany such a tough place, which is the politics. Right. So everybody, you know, you're coming into an election year. Everybody's nervous. Nobody knows what's going to happen nationally. Is it going to be Donald Trump going to run again is Joe Biden going to run you know you have redistricting again in New York State we don't know who's going to be cut out of the maps cut into the maps and you add all that with with, you know fears of primaries and then another big fear that's going on out there that's impacting us is the fact that you know we've we've, this is the first time that they're going to be running under a public finance system right so for the first time there are going to be challengers to some of these incumbent legislators who prior could never raise any money, could never raise a significant amount of money. Now, all of a sudden you might have a DSA member or a Republican member or a Republican candidate who suddenly raises a couple hundred thousand dollars because of the public financing system. And now all of a sudden their race is viable when in, before it was, it was never truly viable. And I think, that makes the members very nervous, and rightfully so. It's going to be it's going to be a challenge for some of them, and it's going to be a challenge, you know, when the national politics come into play with with some of their elections. So I think you know, anytime that the the budget can be turned to, it's cutting something or it's taking away something from you, it makes the legislators very nervous.
0: So um, when when does this get real? I mean, when do we see real negotiations? I know we haven't even seen the one-house bills yet. And I'm yeah. just curious.
1: Yeah, I, I think once we see the one-house bills, I know that many of the, uh, both houses are are calling to, uh, well, asking their members to get in um, ads or um, to the, the one-house budget by, in the next week or two. Um, okay. And then we'll have, you know, the one-house budget come out um in early march um and then i think that's when everything gets very real and and you know we see what the legislature wants to add to the discussion right so um that'll be very interesting once they put out their uh, document uh again i i'm not expecting anything too um uh, too dramatic i guess for from okay. the legislature um, but, you know, obviously, there's going to be some issues that individual legislators want in the budget, they want to see in the budget, and we'll likely see those in the one house bills. Um, you know, it's, it's quite possible, um, we could see the expanded producer responsibility in, in the one house bills, and, and suddenly, that's being discussed. Um, right. I know, working hard on that and working with a coalition, and talking with a lot of different members, um, you know, obviously, the energy stuff. Will be an ongoing discussion. I'm I'm sure that the legislature, um, particularly the Senate, will probably want to put in some form of New York heat and some form form of the Superfund bill. I know the Assembly has never been a big um, uh, a big champion of the Superfund bill, but that could change. Uh, who knows? Um, but those issues are going to come to to light as well when the one house budgets come out.
0: All right, so because New York is special, our budget is due on April Fool's Day. Um, Technically, I guess, March 31st, right? (laughs) Fiscal year begins April Fool's Day. Uh, We're gonna be on time. I just, this is my last question to you. I want want you to say for the record, is it gonna be an on-time budget?
1: It is going to be an on-time budget because the governor stayed away from bail. Um, She stayed away from discovery reform. I think those are hot button issues. Um, you know, I think if you carve your, a path with retail theft in the right way, it can stay out of that debate over bail and discovery law reform. And she'll be able to get some wins there. I think, again, the toughest debates will be adding money to the school aid, um, potentially any, some debates over housing. Um, and then, you know, a couple, probably some of the energy environment stuff that I think is a, a little polarizing, particularly New York heat and the Superfund. But the New York heat in particular, because um, obviously um, not only do we have concerns with that, but the unions also have concerns with the New York heat legislation, um, whereas um, some of the environmental groups do not. They obviously want to see New York heat pass. So, you know, those are those would be the big things, but I, I think because of that, um, because there's not that that issue that the legislature will say over my, my dead body, like bail reform, um, we'll probably get something done on, on time. So everybody can go and knock on doors and hand out literature and do the things that they're supposed to do um, in an election year.
0: All right. Well, you heard it here first, on time budget. Thank you, EBP of the Business Council, Paul Zuber.
1: Well, thank you, Heather Mulligan. It was a pleasure as always. And, you know, I I will do it anytime, even though you could make me do it whenever you want to.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you for being cooperative. Appreciate that. Uh, Well, you're welcome.